Hello, hello. Is it on? I didn't have it on. Um, but I wanted to take this week, if we had any questions uh, from our study of Revelation, because I know I've been moving super fast, and I haven't given uh, a lot of time. I'm just going to turn this off. You going to just turn that off, Russell? Do you have the remote? Yeah. Um, but uh, basically, we, we've flown through Revelation. I mean, and especially the last couple of chapters, and some of that was just... Uh, uh, you know, wanting to, to get through it. Um, and then I also uh, am excited about starting the, the family uh, ministry stuff, and I thought it would be good to start that at the beginning of March. Some of it's just timing, things like that. But, um, but I know I haven't given you guys a lot of time for uh, questions and, and just to, to ask things about Revelation. One of the things I learned the first couple of weeks being in here uh, is that the questions can take us in a thousand directions, you know, because uh, people have all kinds of ideas, preconceived ideas coming into Revelation. So I definitely thought it's good to kind of stay on track, you know, rather than be like, well, what I, you know, I heard this at one point, or I heard this at one point, or I read this book at one point, or the news is saying this. And, and again, not that those aren't good questions. It just takes us in tangents that, that, that sometimes it's hard to stay focused on what does the word actually say, and let's just keep moving with the text. Does that make sense? So, um, you know, and I think I said that at the very beginning. Revelation is... It's not about imagination and speculation and fascination, you know? I mean, there are fascinating things. There are things in there that are beyond our comprehension, for sure, that you could only speculate about. But at some point, your speculation deviates from from the revealed content of the Word. It just becomes imaginative, sort of like, well, I think heaven might be like this, or it could be like this, or what if it's this? And, And again, that's fine if you just want to sit around and imagine, but that's not... That's not interpretation, you know, and that's not exposition. So I was trying to keep it focused in that sense. Um, but that being said, I mean, you know, Revelation is about investigating the text, uh, thinking through, meditating on, understand what it means, and, and then applying our lives. And so I definitely think there's enough content uh, to have a whole lesson right now on just what are the implications that we need to take away and how does the things that we've talked about uh, apply in our lives from Revelation 1 through 22 uh, and we can do that today, and I think that would be a profitable use of our time today. But I did want to give an opportunity, if you have any questions from Revelation that you want to ask that we could look more clearly into. Um, you know, one thing is, uh, uh, you know, I, I came in halfway through Revelation 13 and a half. So there's, there's parts that I myself have not dug out, you know, that you guys probably got to explore with Joel. Uh, it doesn't mean that we can't look at it and go, well, what does it mean, and what are the, the other places in the, the word that talk about this? But, but yeah, so that's kind of the, that's the pitch for today. So that being said, are there any things that you, you know, that weren't clear or you want more understanding on? Or there's something that you want to ask, like, coming out of the book of Revelation before we move on to a whole new topic? Yeah. Yeah. Clarify, when he says the new heavens and new earth, mm-hmm. in chapter 4, John is taken up to heaven. Or yeah, yeah. That's a good way. Yeah, it's correct to a point. Correct to so so the question was uh, understand the new heavens and the new earth. You know, in John four, uh, I mean, I'm sorry, Revelation four, John is taken up to the current heaven where the throne room of God is. He sees God at His throne. He sees Christ and John or Revelation five come out uh, from the throne and the lamp. So four and five are all about being at the throne room of God. It's very similar to Isaiah and Ezekiel's vision of the throne of God uh, currently. And then in Revelation 21 and 22, you see what looks like the the throne of God, where God is now, descend and sit on earth. That's the new Jerusalem. Um, And so I think that's correct. I mean, I think that's where the Lord is now, where he is at on his throne, uh, what what John and Isaiah and Ezekiel uh, were allowed to, to see through these visions uh, that place is a real place. It's the place where, like we said, Christ has gone to prepare for us. Um, it's the, the, the city that Hebrews talks about, whose builder and architect is God and all that. And that comes and sits on earth. That being said, you know, it's like, um, you know, when we think of, but there's still going to be the heavens, that God's still in all places at all time. 
But it's the, the presence of God, the glory of God, the dwelling place of God will be on earth with man. God will dwell with man. So I think that is a good way to say it, that, that heaven, in a sense, descends and sits on earth. Um, and, uh, yeah, that's a good way to articulate it. Now, again, that, that's, I think that, that's what the Scripture says. But then there are, beyond that, like, it doesn't mean that God is only on earth. I mean, the Father is always at all places, all time. He's spirit. The, the Son will be physically present on earth with man. You know, the Holy Spirit will, will be here. But, again, he, the Spirit is spirit. And so, in that sense, it's still mind-blowing. You know, God will be fully present on earth with man. We will dwell with him. We'll be united with him. And he will still be at all places, at all times, and all ways. Because, yeah, he's, he's God. You know, so I don't, I don't even know how to really, that's what I was saying. That becomes incomprehensible, you know, what that will look like. But it will be, you know, all things will be married together and we'll be one with him in a whole new way. No more sin, no more separation. Um, yeah. Good question. Any other questions from Revelation? Yeah. I wasn't here when you spoke about the millennium kingdom. Oh, yeah, yeah. We were at the millennium of faith. I wanted to see if you could speak briefly on it, but most of all, if I could have some references where in the Bible I can find them. Because I know there's Ezekiel and different Isaiah. Yes. Some of those passages that I can research. Okay, so uh, the question is... Um, the millennial kingdom, can I speak, speak briefly on it? Which is, the answer is no. <laughs> they all know that. Uh, but but where, where, basically, where else in the Bible? What, so the, the, the question is like, you know, if you look at Revelation uh, 20, or yeah, Revelation uh, 19 and 20, uh, when we look at uh, the actual mentioning of the millennial kingdom, I guess in just really it's just 20 verses 4 through 6. So there's not a lot in Revelation about the millennial kingdom. And it, it only tells us, about the uh, the tribulation saints rising from the dead, all the the uh, people of God being there with the Lord on earth during the thousand years as Christ reigns on his throne. And so one of the things we said in here was really, if you want to know about the millennial kingdom, what is happening on earth, what are the promises that have to be fulfilled, all that kind of stuff, uh, really the, the rest of scripture is the key to that. You know? And so Ezekiel, um, uh, really, uh, you know, Ezekiel... 36 on tells you a lot about the millennial kingdom. It talks about the temple. Uh, it talks about the resurrection of the dead. It talks about the new covenant that Christ must fulfill and can only be fulfilled in completely different conditions than the present age. Um, uh, Jeremiah 30 through 33 is another good place. It talks about the new covenant and things that have to take place. Um, and they're more than just a spiritual interpretation. These are things that have to take place during that time. The, the biblical covenants is another thing we talked about. Um, it, it, you know, the, all the, the Abrahamic covenant, Davidic covenant, uh, new covenant, priestly covenant, um, uh, all have to take place. Uh, there, there's, there's things that the Lord has promised that just haven't occurred in the way that he said it, you know. Uh, it's the whole, you know, things have happened. Like, uh, he did make a nation, Israel. Um, he did give them the land, but it wasn't the land, uh, the, the, the boundaries that, that he had said he would. Um, uh, he did bless all the earth through Israel in the sense that the Son, Jesus Christ, the Messiah, came through Israel and died for our sins. But he has not blessed all the earth in the way that he prescribed. Um, all the earth has not seen his blessings. There, you know, he has, you know, Christ is in the line of David, but he never sat on the throne as king. He never inherited the kingdom and reigned as king. And then all those promises are forever promises. Israel will be on the land forever. They'll be a nation forever. Uh, He'll sit on the throne forever. You know, even currently right now, there is no throne. There is no Davidic king. There is no, I mean, there is a nation of Israel, but it's just like a, a, a crumbly piece of the whole. You know what I mean? And so the way that God described those covenants, that they have to take place at some point, or you, the other the other option is just to make them allegorical, spiritual, or whatever. But that's not how the Lord um, fulfills the promises that He's made. You know, even the the when we look at prophecies and the fulfillment of prophecies that have already taken place, they happen exactly like He says it. You know, when He talks about a nation, it's that nation. When He talks about a, a place, it's that place. And um, and so uh, and when He gives a time stamp on something, it's that time. You know, so. Uh, the, the point being is that's another good place to go look. And, and that's hard to just nail down exactly. I mean, Abrahamic covenant, Genesis 12 through 15, you can go read that and see those things have to take place. The Davidic covenant is Second Samuel 7, the things that God promised to Daniel. And it's in First uh, Chronicles 17, I believe. It's the first, yeah, First Chronicles 17. Those things have to take place. Um, 
and uh, the new covenant, like I said, Jeremiah 30 through 33, you got that. Uh, the whole book of Isaiah. I mean, Isaiah is just full of millennial kingdom prophecies. So just read. The, I would read Ezekiel, Isaiah, Zechariah is another good place. Um, huh? Yeah, read the Bible. <laughs> Many of the Old Testament prophets. But, like, those are ones that are just, and Joel. Joel's another, well, Joel's more of uh, the, the, the um, judgment of God. But anyway, a lot of those Old Testament prophets, the minor prophets, tell you a lot too. But you read them and just read them and, and go, this has to happen the way he says it, you know? Because you'll, you'll read it and you're like, none of this stuff has happened. And so you either, you have two options there. You make it spiritual. Uh, you, you, you make it allegorical. Well, that might represent the church. Or that might represent, you know, the, the kingdom could just represent everyone. or You know what I mean? Or it means what it says. And we just haven't, it just hasn't happened yet, you know? So... That, that's as brief as I could be. Yeah, <laughs> Steve. In that same vein, you know, in the literal, um, historical, grammatical interpretation, of one of the things that I really struggled with is what we talked about last week with Jerusalem, New Jerusalem being 1,500 miles cubed. Yeah, yeah. Coming down out of heaven. Mm-hmm. So, so the question is, is in a literal, historical, grammatical interpretation of Scripture, how do you explain a city that's a heavenly city, 1,500 miles wide, long, and tall, descending out of heaven and sitting on, you're saying, this current planet, which even, I mean, when you look at the pictures, it's, it's ridiculous, right? I mean, is that kind of the, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I think, I think you, you just, again, that's what I was saying, is even people that hold to a literal understanding of Scripture and, and, and stand with us in our hermeneutic, when you get to Revelation 21 22, they just don't know what to do with it. And so you just kind of toss it and go either, I don't know, or, or it must represent something. You know what I mean? And uh, I, just, I just think just keep your hermeneutic for two more chapters and let it be beyond comprehension. Like when it talks about a heavenly city, I mean, first thing, where's that heavenly city now? You don't see it, but it's a, it's a physical place that's there, you know? And I mean, even my girls were, we were talking about the other day, because we actually were reading Revelation and, you know, and, and we're talking about where is heaven now, you know? I mean, because again, in, in the best way, it is, it is a spiritual, I mean, this is where our spirits go, but it's a literal place, but you can't see it, you know, you send rockets and satellites and everything up there and they don't see it and... We don't, we can't, you know, it's just like, so it is one of those things where there, you have to have faith to believe that heaven is up there and it is real. And there is a place where Jesus Christ in bodily form is existing currently right now, along with all the angels and all the spirits of all the dead that belong to him and the throne room of God and the place that he's preparing. And, and, and then you read in Revelation 21, 22, that that place where he is, is an actual place with actual measurements uh, and, and there's actual subs, you know, pearl gates and gold. You know, it's not just, it's not some spiritual place. It's a physical place. And then it comes, like you said, and it descends. That's the word. It comes down out of and descends out of heaven from God. And it sits on this earth. And then gives measurements of, of what it is. And it, I, think, I think it's just uh, the fourth dimension. <laughs> I think it is, it, it is. There is an incomprehensible aspect to it, but I think you just got to read it and go, I mean, we'll, we'll I, I can't explain it better than what it says, and that's the only thing. We don't even have anywhere else in Scripture that we can reference that talks about, outside of, you know, I'll make a new heavens and a new earth, there's a city prepared, uh, there's an architect and built all that stuff, but like, when it comes to measurements of that city, that's the only place that there's measurements of that city, yeah. Yeah. And so that's a mindset we can't comprehend because we're still tainted by sin. Yeah. It's like when we try to think of Eden, what was that like? We can't think of that because it was perfect. This is going to be like an Eden part two. Yeah, yeah. It's going to be another thing that we can't comprehend because we're still trapped in these fleshly 
No, I agree. And again, I mean, you know, we, we try. I, there was one uh, commentator that talked about the new earth, you know, but possibly the new earth is bigger, you know, so it makes more sense for a bigger city to sit on a bigger earth, you know. Um, but still, 1,500 miles, I and mean, we're talking, you're out, like we looked at, you're out in the exosphere, you know what I mean? And so it's like, uh, but then you got the, the, the verses that talk about the, the, everything will be illumined by the, I mean, the, the, the light of the sun will be useless because the light of the glory of the city of Christ, because of the radiance and the glory of Christ coming out of that city, will illumine the whole, the whole universe, you know? And, uh, and, that's the, and there's no night. There's no longer any need for the light of the moon or anything like that. So, again, I mean, when you, so to explain it further, I, I, don't, I don't know any other way other than just reading it and going, this, I mean, it is going to happen like he says it. It's the dimensions of the city are, are incomprehensible to us. They're unbelievable because nothing like that exists. And I can't remember if I put the picture up there of Mount Everest next to, you know, but it's just like, you know, we think of Mount Everest. That's the biggest thing we can think of on the current earth. And it just looks like a grain of sand, you know. It's like, I think it's seven miles tall. And this is supposed to be 1,500, you know, miles tall. And so... But, yeah, I mean, I just think you just got to go. Things are just going to be different then. But I, I definitely think, but you don't toss the way we understand Scripture out. And I think that was a good point. And I think I threw some, uh, some uh, quotes from a couple of different guys. Because, like I said, because it, it does, it is. If he said 1,500 miles long and wide and seven miles tall, we would have no problem with that, right? It's the fact that it's 1,500 miles tall that I think everyone has a problem with it. And, and I think the, the fact that he had him measurement and even had that statement in there, that these measurements are not some sort of mystical angelic measurements. The, the measurements that the angel was taking are man's measurements. I think he was just really reiterating the fact that he's going to do something that we can't comprehend. And the, the majesty and beauty of the city is, is, is unbelievable, you know. So I don't know. I, I know that doesn't help probably. Yeah, I mean, it is, in a sense, bringing together heaven and earth. Uh, it doesn't mean that, uh, I think we just said that, that there's not, you know, it's not like God is contained in that city, uh, and, and he's not everywhere still all at the same time. But, but it is, I mean, that is, in essence, what is happening. Heaven is descending and, and becoming the city of God on earth, and that's where the presence of God is. That's where the Lamb is. That's where the presence of, of, of God is. And we will be with him, and he will be with us. We'll be able to be in his presence. There's no more veil. There's no more uh, inability to see him because of sin. There's no more inability to be in his presence because. Of, I mean, it, the reason we can't be in the presence of God right now is because we're sinners. And no matter, even if we're born again, I mean, to be in his presence would just. I mean, we we'd incinerate, you know. And and uh, no one can be in the presence of God. And so, it's just, yeah. Hope that helps. <laughs> it's it's. I think it's as as crazy as it, as it sounds in our minds. Did you read anyone that said that it could have been a, a pyramid? Yeah, you know, some people think it might be a pyramid, but I don't know why that would in any way... Ch- and, and again, I just think it's like, you know, everything that God made on earth... When God told Moses how to build the tabernacle, and when Solomon was building the temple, all of them were a shadow of, of the, the actual, the eternal. And Hebrews talks about Jesus went into the actual place, you know, he went into the, the, the true Holy of Holies. I think that uh, the reason I just think it's a cube is because of that. The Holy of Holies has always been a cube, not a pyramid. And the things that we built here on earth were a, a, a shadow, a glimpse, a, a tiny little sort of like precursor to the... Yeah. I think the pyramids are just a reflection of Babel. It doesn't have elevators. I'm getting the first floor flat. Yeah. Well, and think about that. I mean, again, you just think about the, the holy city. And, I mean, uh, I, you know, uh, some again, this is where you're just getting the speculation, imagination. But it's not, it's not bad to ponder, you know. But Christ and his resurrected body walked through walls, uh, transported places, was able to ascend to heaven. I mean, Who's to say that, and we're, we're going to be raised in the same way that he is raised. We're given new bodies that are, that, that are like his body. So, I mean, again, it's like, I mean, 1,500 miles high might not be that big for us when we are able to zoom around. You know, and again, that's just where you get into like, I don't know. I mean, you can, oh, there's only been one resurrected body so far. 
that is a body that we know of, that it is a body that has been raised uh, eternal to never die again, and that's the body of Christ, you know, and, uh, and, you know, I know Enoch was taken up, and I know Elijah was taken up and all that. But, again, we, we don't, we've never seen, outside of the transfiguration when Moses and Elijah stand next to Christ, but they didn't focus on Moses and Elijah there. They're just there. That's all we know about their bodies there. It's all focused on Christ. But with Christ's body, we have, you know, I mean, 40 days after the resurrection of him walking around with a resurrected, glorified body, and he was able to do things, you know. But he, he ate, and he drank, and he... Uh, you, you could touch him. He was physical, but then at the same time, he passed through walls. He appeared in the midst of the disciples. They didn't even know how he got there. You know, I mean, it's just like that'd be kind of fun. You know, <laughs> somebody's talking about you. You're like, what'd you say? You know, and you're just there, <laughs> like, whoa. <laughs> so, uh, yeah. But again, I mean, I just think like we we're probably going to have a city that is built for these new bodies and built for all the people. And then you think about the many people of God. I mean, myriads and myriads and thousands upon thousands. I mean, there's millions of of you know, right now, for sure, many are called, few are chosen. The way is tight and small. The gate is small, and the way to, to hell is broad and all that. But then you think of uh, other things in Scripture, you know, that, I mean, I think you can make a really good, tight case, biblically, that, that every unborn child, every aborted child, every, you know, um, miscarried child is in heaven. I mean, he's filled in heaven. So there's millions of those in heaven, because every nation from the beginning to the end, all pagan nations have killed babies, and then you just got the effects of sin that we have many miscarriages, and so you got that. You got the the, the remnant that's always been there throughout the ages, you know, whether it was the line of Adam and Seth and all of them, or whether it was, you know, Noah and his family, or Abraham and his family, or the church, you know, the tribulation saints. So, I mean, there's, it's going to need a whole lot of people, and... Um, you know, and, and again, you, and, and there, there are implications there in Revelation 21 and 22 that it's not like everything is contained in that city. There's kings and nations that come into the city to, to give glory and honor to Christ. So obviously the earth still has uh, landmass and nations and kings outside of the, the, the city of God, but that city will be a majestic, glorious thing. So I don't know. I mean, your question was, could it be a pyramid or what about the pyramid, you know, and I just think, like, maybe, but I just feel like there's more biblical evidence or, or things that I would say, I would assume it's going to be a square because of the Holy Holy stuff and because of the, you know, the, the tabernacle and the temple and the way that the Lord made, and even in the millennial temple, everything's squared. Um, right angle architecture is more appealing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and when you, when you talk about pyramids and, and Indian mounds and, uh, you know all the the um, the different pagan worshiping things. Uh, I really think that probably is a reflection of of Babel and what was done by. It. I mean that probably reflects more of the sinful heart of man than it does the majesty of God. I think the only compelling part of that would be that Satan's always trying. To copy. Yeah, but he builds triangles and God builds squares. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it really doesn't. And a lot of these, that's what I was saying. I mean, at some point, you just get into to speculation, which is not, I mean, again, it's not bad to sit down and go, man, what is that going to be like? You know? But, but then you've got to pull it, pull it all back to why did he reveal it? And, and it was revealed to the churches, right? So everything in Revelation was revealed to the churches for the churches, which means this, it was meant for us. In this present time, you know, and we talked about that, how God revealed things to Daniel, too, and said, close it up. <laughs> and then he revealed it to John. He said, make it known, you know, send it out. And, uh, and so, you know, you, you definitely have the implications in Revelation 2 and 3 to the, the churches that are existing and what that means to us now. But there's a reason that he revealed those things. And, and again, we talked about some of that. But, uh, but at some point, you, you get into, I think, futility trying to figure it out, you know, and you just got to... Just for a little while, go, man, what will that be like? And then pull it back to, okay, what does that mean for me right now? And, and uh, yeah. Good questions. Anything else? Well, he tells us enough to be curious, but he gives us a glimpse of that glory. Yeah. He doesn't tell us a lot. Well, and I think there's a reason. I mean, I think he... I don't think that we can... <clears throat> well, totally. Again, I mean, think of... He measures one thing in the eternal 
kingdom, and we're like, I don't get it, you know? And I mean, <laughs> and so it's just like, I mean, he's leaving the rest of it to where we can see it with our eyes, you know? But I mean, if he described the landmass of the new earth and all, I mean, I, I think, you know, I, it's just beyond our comprehension. Uh, but it's the things that he's prepared for those who are called by his name, those who love him, the things that, I mean, that's what causes Paul to say, and Paul saw heaven, you know, and, and didn't speak of, of what he saw, but Paul, after all of his suffering and all the persecution, everything he went through, you know, says this momentary light affliction is not worth comparing to the eternal weight of glory that, you know, and, and again, not that he had to see a glimpse of that to be able to say those words, but I think he knew, you know, whatever he goes through here just seems so insignificant compared to what is be, being prepared for us. And I think that's just the, the most amazing thing. And that, that's actually the purpose. The whole purpose is to get that glimpse in Revelation 21, 22, to talk about the millennial kingdom, all that stuff, is to give you hope in the midst of a dark and sinful world, is to, is to call you to perseverance and steadfastness, though your, your flesh cries out, though the world around you tempts and pulls. I mean, everything within and around us, outside of God doing his perfect and majestic work of drawing us out of the darkness and the light, filling us with the Spirit and all that, everything calls us to forsake this. Not to go there, to make our home here, you know what I mean? To take our eyes off of things above. And so I think that's the whole reason. He's like, you know, I mean, it does get hopeless. It does get hard. I mean, we're not even the worst of it right now. And it looks pretty bleak if you look at our culture, you know? But we've seen other cultures that were way worse. And it's going to get way, way worse. By the time the Lord returns, the, the, the culture of the world will be darker than anything we've ever seen. And so you talk about needing hope. I mean, the tribulation saints are going to hang on this book, you know, and, and it's, going to be, it's going to be like light in the darkness. It's going to be the, the beacon that will cause them to just keep holding on as family betrays them and church betrays them and everyone betrays them, you know. Um, I think there will be, you know, this is just a tangent, but there will be a church during this time. It will just be the pagan church, you know. I mean, after the rapture, all the Christians are gone and the church is gone. I imagine the church will continue to exist on earth, but it won't be the church of Christ. It will be the church of the world. And then so you got to even talk about that. It's going, to be, it's going to be wicked and dark during the tribulation. So I think Revelation, those two chapters are probably going to be gold for anyone that has to live through the tribulation uh, that, that becomes a born-again believer during that time. So, yeah. What's your, what's your recommended response to people who are constantly looking towards the activities of Israel that's going on in Israel for the signs of the times? Oh, yeah. Uh, so what's the response of someone that's looking at what's happening in Israel currently and trying to interpret that as signs of the times? And you're saying signs of the times that, like, trying to interpret things there happening in Revelation? Because I definitely think the fact that Israel is a nation again and the fact that Israel exists is, is, is a miracle. And it has something. I mean, think about, like, that the Israelites are, uh, they, have a, they have a place, you know. And uh, I think that the things that are happening over there are definitely paving the way for and preparing for everything that's being said here. But, again, all the things that are happening in the tribulation, I mean, this is happening, this is, this is, this is, first thing, the judgment of God on earth, and all that's to cause Israel to repent and to return. And so, uh, but when you talk about birth pangs, you talk about um, uh, things getting um, worse and worse before the return of Christ or before the rapture and all that, I mean, that's true. But, but to take the news and then to try to, to look at the Scripture and go, okay, what in Scripture uh, uh, does that point? Yeah, does that... that I, I mean, I don't think you can ever, uh, you shouldn't do that. <laughs> uh, because people have been doing that for, for 2,000 years, you know. I mean, uh, people have identified the Antichrist as from Nero all the way up to right now. People are looking for the Antichrist and looking for what 666 means and his name and all that. And I mean, you know, I think, I think again, what a perfect setup for the end to have so much confusion. The charismatic church has destroyed Revelation. Uh, the Catholic Church has destroyed Revelation. Um, everyone who looks at Revelation and tries to, I mean, they, they try to, to make it mean, it, it either means nothing because we can't understand it, or it means everything around you, and you miss the whole intent of it, uh, which is to, 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 to prepare your mind, to be sober-minded, to be faithful to the end, all that. You know? So I don't know if that answers your question. I mean, Israel being a nation is significant, um, uh, and there has to be a temple 
uh, for the Antichrist to go into the temple and offer sacrifices. There has to be a nation for that to happen. Israel exists. Jerusalem exists during that time. So those things have to... And, and, and you know, 100 years ago, people would have said that's impossible. And it's very possible now. You know, the whole world will see the death of the two prophets in Jerusalem and they'll rejoice. Well, that's easy to... I mean, that can happen now. Again, so I think it's, it's wise to look around and go, everything is fully ready for all of this to happen. But nothing has happened that has, is described in Revelation yet. Does that make sense? Um, but yeah, it's, it's prepared. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Because they would say that the church replaces the church. Yeah. Um, but if you're going along with those, what's the same thought is, you know, in the, in the millennial kingdom, heaven, is there a distinction between Israel and the church? Is that continued or is it merged? Okay, so that's a good question. So, uh, you know, uh, amillennialism, postmillennialism uh, kind of marry together Israel and the church and make them into one sort of thing. And, and it's premillennialism, which is where we stand as a church, that says they're distinct still. Um, and, then, and, then, uh, and then is there a distinction between Israel and the church eternally? Or in the, millenn- in the millennial kingdom and then eternally, right? Is that kind of, yeah. So, and, and what Steve is talking about, Romans 9 through 11 is a really good place to go and read. Uh, I mean, Paul himself saying, I mean, here's what's going on. As, as plain as day, God's not done with Israel. There's a future for Israel. Right now is the time of the Gentiles. It's a partial hardening for Israel to make them jealous until the fullness of the Gentiles comes in, and then there will be a redemption of Israel. I mean, I can. There, it is. It is so plain there that that Israel still existed then. That that there's a continuation of Israel to the very end. There's always a remnant. Even right now, Israelites are being saved through the church. But there is a future time for the nation of Israel. And so during the millennial kingdom, I think that's the only time that all those things about Israel can actually take place. So during the millennial kingdom, there has to to be a distinction. Uh, Like Israel will be a nation. Jesus Christ will sit on David's throne in Jerusalem on his throne as king. And Israel, I mean, has prominence. And it's the light of all the nations. Israel is the nation of all nations during the millennial kingdom. So uh, if you want to say it that way, during the millennial kingdom, it'll be all about Israel. Now, the church will be a part of that, and all the tribulation saints will be a part of that, and all those who were saved before is. I mean, we're all a part of it, but Israel will be his nation. Christ, David's son, will sit on the throne. You know, so there's a very big part of Israel in the millennial kingdom. The only thing we know about the eternal kingdom is you've got the 12 foundation stones that have the names of the church on them, the 12 gates that have the names of Israel. And I said when I taught that, I still think, it's funny that there's a distinct, I mean, here's, here's names of Israel, here's names of the church. We're definitely, I mean, 1 Corinthians 15, we are one in him. God is all in all, and we are all in him, and we, we are, so there's only one body, one spirit, like Ephesians 4 says. I know that's talking about the church, but I think that's the, the, the what the eternal kingdom will be like, just one. You know, we'll be one in him, but, you know, maybe as a memorial or a reminder for all eternity of the salvific work of God in different, you know, ways, you know, you got the names of Israel, you got the names of the church or the, the apostles written on the, the stones. I don't know if it's necessarily a distinction. Like there will be, I do think, you know, when you talk about the Abrahamic covenant, it does say forever. They will have land forever. Uh, Christ will be the King forever. Uh, but then you got Christ will give all things over to the Father, and he'll become all in all. So, again, how you marry all that, I, 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 don't, I don't want to be dogmatic. I, I think that it's possible there's eternal, eternal significance to the, both the name of the church and the name of Israel. But I don't know if there will be a distinction, you know what I mean, in the sense I don't think there will be any separation. We'll be one in him. Um, but, you know, I just think of like, you know, when we think about, I, I related something back to the fact that, oh, like the new heavens and the new earth and all that, um, even though it's new, it still retains something about it because it's not, it's like us when we become new. I think you were the one that said a transformation during that time. It's like even when we become a new person in Christ and we have a new spirit, his spirit, 
I'm still in some way me, right? I mean, it's not like it's an, an annihilation of Brian and then there's a whole new, and it's, I mean, there's, there's still me. You know, I know presently this body is dying and decaying and I'll have a new body and all that, but there's, there's still something about me that's retained through the, the, the newness and through the transformation and through the, the, the departing of all the old and the sinlessness and all that, you know what I mean? And so, um, so I just, I think, I think, um, and only because the different names of the gates and the stones, that they're even in the newness and the oneness and all of the unity that is brought with no sin at all, there's still some remembrance of Israel, the, the names of the tribes and, and the church, the names of the apostles. Yeah. 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 Yeah, but they, from their perspective, would show you all the unifying verses and say, well, I mean, like, they, they would look at that as, you know. Yeah, and, and yeah, and a lot of things. I mean, there's, there's a lot of unity verses that will, will be one, that, that there will be no distinction, stuff like that. But again, what you need to understand, and I never talked about it in here because I didn't feel like, you know, the, most of the time when you talk about end times, eschatology, there's three views. There's post-millennial, amillennial, pre-millennial. And usually it's presented kind of like that, and, and here's the different views and why, and you kind of pick and choose which one you think fits best with Scripture. But we just don't have that option uh, with our hermeneutic. I mean, if, if the Bible reads the way it reads, you're going to end up pre-millennial. You have to. Now, you may not be there yet personally, but if you start from Genesis and you read through Revelation, there's no option for a post-mill uh, eschatology or an amill eschatology. Those come because they start at a different point at the very beginning. There's a different starting point. And so to end amillennial, you have to start uh, with a different hermeneutic at the beginning. And you have to read Scripture through the whole two-age uh, viewpoint. You know, when, And Christ says there's this age and the age to come. And then you take Old Testament and you read all everything through that. Or with a post-millennial thing... You, it really stems from what Christ said before your turn. He says, you know, um, this generation will not pass away before these things are seen. And so they, they, they say, because he said that, I mean, he's saying that these, thing, these prophetic things must happen before the apostles that he's talking to right in front of him actually die. And so then you've got to go back and read Scripture through that lens. And then that's where you get into replacing the church with Israel and all that and a lot of the spiritual understandings. But again, don't get confused by it. We're starting at two, well, there's three different starting points that end with three different endings. Does that make sense? And so we say that God communicates very clearly through his word, and the words mean what they mean. And that's why when we say we exposit scripture the way we do, we're, that's, that's, it doesn't matter if we're in Matthew or Hosea or Revelation, always read scripture the way it's written. You know, Again, poetry, you interpret it like you would read poetry. And prophecy is prophecy. Historical uh, narrative, you're going to read like it's historical narrative. So Again, it's like you don't pick up the comic books and read it like a history or a comic book and read it like a history book, you know. And you don't go read Shakespeare and read it as if it was like English history of that time. You know, it's like you read you read it according to the genre, but what it means is always what it means. And it can't mean a bunch of different things. You know, fully knowing that all of us are fallible and all of us are growing in our understanding. So it's not I mean, no one's gonna stand up here and go, everything I'm saying is perfectly clear and true, but what he says is and so we just want to, best we can, go, what is he saying here? What do these words mean? And then what does that mean, you know, for how we live and how we think and in the light of the rest of Scripture? So, yeah. But, yeah, if you want to know more about different end-time views, I mean, there's plenty of books out there on it. My favorite for the Amillennial is that Matt Wehmeyer book. I, I recommended that because Matt Wehmeyer takes the Amillennial view um, and lets them speak for themselves. He, he actually lays out probably the best Amillennial uh, 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 defense that I've ever I've ever read. Even I think he just he does a great job of it, and then just says, "But with a historical grammatical hermeneutic, we we can't land there." But it's it's really good uh, for both, you know. So it's a good if you're pre mill or a mill. It's like a great book for both. Um, yeah.
example, to not uh, neglect our gathering together. Uh, don't, yeah, don't neglect gathering yourself together. Uh, and he says there, especially as you see that day approaching, and I'm assuming that day is that day that we're all watching approaching. And <clears throat> our days are different. Like you say, Israel is in the land. And there is a globalization such as had never occurred since Babel. <laughs> That's pretty global because you know, it was all the earth coming in. And that is something that is new where you have nationality now is being attacked as something bad. Um, so, you know, we can't say the rapture will happen tomorrow, but... But it could. It could. And it could be a thousand years. It yeah. So I think it's just one of those things. I think you're right. I mean, again, uh, if, if we trust the word, everything that's happened since Christ ascended to this point, I think everyone in every one of those generations could say the words you're saying. It's never been closer. Well, I don't think they could have. I mean, I think they could have because of the circumstances they were in. They were bad. Mm-hmm. They were during tribulation. Certainly Nero at that time. I mean, they all in the first century. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I mean, we've always had, but we've never, yeah, and that was pretty global, that world war, but then that, that's what Jesus talked about. In Rome was completely global, too. They were globalized. So. Yeah, and Greece, I mean, Alexander spread Greece, I mean, immeasurably. I mean, Alexander, if you look at Alexander the Great, what he did and how quickly he did it and the way he did it, I mean, it would have, it would have fit right along with Scripture. So, again, I'm not saying that you're not right, because as the day gets closer, everything will be culminating to this. So you are correct in that, for sure. I mean, we've never been closer, and things have never been more prepared than they are now. Rome never conquered Persia. Yeah, but, you know, it, it. it could be two, three hundred more years, and it will, it will be even more and more and more clear. But, again, I mean, Christ said that. Christ himself said that his return is imminent from the day he left. Does that make sense? So, uh, I mean, you know, it... it we have been as close as, as imminence for 2,000 years. And so I just, but again, it's like as, as every day ticks on and as sin continues to do its thing and as prophecy, I mean, like we do know what will happen. Uh, and the way has been perfectly paved. But in 200 years, if this present culture is still here and the earth is still here, then they will be able to say much more clearly exactly what you just said and, and say it like even 200 years ago, they couldn't say this, but Carol did. You know what I mean? And so, I mean, 200 years ago, I, get, I guarantee you there was a Carol Berglund out there going, there's, there's never been a time where it's closer and we're living in the end times because there's always people saying that. And, I mean, they've been saying that. I mean, there's books. There's, there's well, books. Isn't that what Peter said? Yeah, that's right. Well, no, 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 I'm saying, I'm saying you got the people in the church saying he could come at any moment. I mean, everything's prepared. So you got both. You got some, you got unbelievers that are always going to say that can't happen. You know, and things are going to go on the way they are. I mean, that's, that's the, the, the whole, you know, naturalistic evolutionary, uh, what do they call it, uniformitarianism. I mean, that's, that's ingrained in everyone's mind that things have always existed like that. So you add billions of years this way, and then you can say billions of years that way, and you got nothing to worry about. And that's the mentality of most people. Um, but then you got the people within the church that are always going, oh, it could be today. It could be today. Which, it could be today. But, but it, it could be another thousand years. But we need to live as if it were to be today. Well, that's right. The rapture is... That's right. Could be yeah. Well, and that's right. But, but the imminence of the rapture, I mean, as soon as the rapture happens, the tribulation begins. Perhaps. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that's true. Yeah, and they, and they changed a few. I, I'm not a, I don't know a lot about the Seventh-day Adventist Church, but I've seen a few of the different prophecies, and, you know, and it's going to happen in 18-whatever, and, they, you know, so... I mean, there's lots of people doing that. That's what I was saying. You got, you got the, like you're saying, what Peter says, you got a whole, the majority are saying this will never happen. 
But then you got within maybe the fold or, you know, within at least people that think this is, there's some, something, some validity to this, not whether or not they're believers, that are trying to pinpoint dates all the time. And again, I mean, you got Christ saying, no man knows. <laughs> and Say what? Yeah, yeah. A lot of people have made a lot of money trying to predict the end. You know what I mean? And gained a lot of followers. Yeah. I don't think so. Well, no, it can't because there's no death and there's no, um, yeah, I mean, when sin is gone completely, there won't be a possibility of, of you know, animal sacrifices and things like that. I don't know. I don't think the Bible says anything clearly about whether or not we'll do things like that in remembrance, you know? Um, I mean, I, I know that, uh, you know, even how John sees Christ in Revelation and he can see the scar, or, you know, he, the, he, he appeared as a lamb that was slain, you know? I mean, I, I don't know what he looks like in his new body, but th- there may be a continual reminder just on the body of Christ alone of his sacrifice for us. And, I mean, that, I think that makes biblical sense. And, you know, we're always going to worship him. And I think one of the greatest things we as redeemed sinners could worship him for is the fact that we are redeemed sinners. We don't even belong in the new heavens and the new earth, you know. And so I imagine for eternity, you know, it talks in First Peter, the angels long to look into the salvation and what that's so i there's some aspect of christ's work here on earth because of sin that we will for always forever remember and know and worship him for but yeah i don't think there's you know again i I think animal sacrifices from my perspective and what the scripture says are impossible during that time because um there's no death you know whether or not we do things like communion or or, um or or, yeah lord's supper or whatever i mean that that could be possible and he does say he'll eat and drink together with the disciples, I think it's Millennial Kingdom, um, but uh, I'm just trying to think through anything else that even remotely says that, but I don't know if we'll need any memorials, he'll be with us, you know, I mean, we'll, we'll, we'll be able to see him with our eyes and worship him. Yeah, does he say perpetual for the Lord's Supper? I, I don't. I don't know. Oh, yes, 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 yes. Yeah, yeah, I guess, I guess you know, well, and you got to think of everlasting, too. Uh, it, everlasting could mean everlasting until the new, and the new heavens and the new earth. I mean, that might be the end of the time stamp. I don't know. I mean, th- I think that's a legitimate thing to think, and, and it doesn't. So, you know, when he talks about Christ reigning on David's throne forever, Israel being a nation forever, all that sort of stuff. I mean, that, that time stamp might be the end of present order. The new heavens and the new earth is an eternal thing. Um, but then there are things that it, it, it wouldn't it wouldn't be a contradiction of scripture for those things to last forever. So I don't know. I guess is the answer <laughs> to that. Yeah, what you got? It just, you, you don't have any clarity either on what the angels will be in the new heavens and new earth, right? There's no place in the Bible that explains what their role will be in the new heaven and the new earth. Well, the that's the only mention of angels in Revelation twenty one and twenty two. Now we do know that they're his his helpers, his messengers. I mean, I mean, they. I don't see why they couldn't continue to do that forever, you know, uh, and just be part of the work of God. I mean, uh, the angel tells John that he's a fellow servant together with John. So in the same way that we'll be serving and loving and worshiping Christ, they'll probably be doing the same thing forever. I mean, there there is a unity with us and the angels in that sense. I mean, we're we're two different beings created for two different purposes in some sense, but we do the very same thing. Um, and, you know, uh, so, I mean, them, knowing that they are his ministering spirits, that they are his helpers, that they are his messengers, uh, all of those things, I think, could easily continue forever. Um, and, I mean, they can, they can continue to fulfill those roles even when there's no sin, you know? Um, yeah, good question. These are good questions. I wish you would have asked these ahead of time so I could have like thought through some of them. Yeah, yeah. I don't know to what extent it matters or which pieces matter, but I've been curious about my understanding of things that we can see clearly in time sense and things that are imminent. Like I have sort of a 
Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, mm -hmm. So I'm not really sure if, if I understand what could happen tomorrow. And what yes, that... Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's right. Well, okay, so, so the question is, like, you know, there's some things that are imminent, and then there's some things that take time. And, and, and so, you know, we read these prophecies, and there's things that take years. I mean, and it's even stated. I mean, this is a certain amount of days, certain amount of months, and a certain amount of years. Uh, then then how, how do you call that imminent when these things take time to take place? So I think that what he's talking about, when he's talking about imminence, he's talking about his... The, the rapture, like we were talking about earlier, that can happen at any moment. The Christ will rapture the church. That the church will, we will. It says, uh, what is it in First uh, Thessalonians four? Is it uh, four thirteen? Um, we don't know if you're familiar. If we believe that Jesus died, rose again, He will bring with Him. Let's see. Uh, that we who are alive. Okay, so He's talking to believers in Thessalonia, uh, Thessalonica. That. Um, that are concerned whether the people who have died are going to miss the, the rapture and basically the whole time of Christ's return, or if they've missed Christ's return. And he says, For this we say to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will not precede those who have fallen asleep. The Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first, and then... We who are alive and remain will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air so that we shall always be with the Lord and therefore comfort one another with these words. And so the, the rapture is talking about a time where um, uh, it's, not, it's not the return of Christ to reign on earth. We, the, the church is called by Christ and they are, rapture means to be, to be taken or to be snatched. That's what it means. And so there's this snatching or this taking and the those who remain and those who have died in Christ meet him in the air and are forever with Christ. Does that make sense? And so when we talk about the rapture, that's what the rapture is. Yeah, yeah. Well, again, I think that's why uh, a, a literal understanding of it helps because the, when it talks about Christ returning, are you talking about the rapture? Are you talking about him like destroying his enemies and reigning on earth as king? You know what I mean? And then if you're talking about him reigning on this earth as king, are you talking about fulfilling the Davidic covenant and all that? Or are you talking about, like, the new heavens and the new earth, you know? And so that's why I think the Lord has made it very clear that there's different, if you want to say it that way, comings. I mean, he only comes to, to reign one more. I mean, he comes and he stays. Does that make sense? But the rapture, we meet him together in the sky. And then you got the whole marriage, supper of the lamb, all that. There's a lot of things that happen in heaven before the return of Christ, you know? But the, the rapture is imminent. That could happen, like, right now. You know what I mean? It's like, that, it could happen at any moment. Uh, and there's nothing, there's nothing, nothing biblical that needs to happen before he calls us to heaven. And uh, it's, it's just the, the, the finish of the work of the church. When, when the Lord has saved the very last church person, the person of the church, uh, then we'll be raptured. And then the tribulation will start. Tribulation does have a, it's a seven-year tribulation. There'll be seven years of time on earth when the things of, uh, that Joel talk about, that Zechariah talk about, that Revelation talks about, Revelation 6 through 19, that's a seven-year period where all that will take place. And so that, that they're, they're, those are the things that, that take time. Does that make sense? And then he will return again to reign forever at the end of those seven years. Um, so, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yes, that's our job. That's the whole point. We're on this earth to bring about the rapture as quickly as possible. Be faithful. Go share the gospel and call our brothers and sisters out of the darkness and the light. That's why we're here, you know. So that's right. So um, it's our job on this earth to share the gospel of Jesus Christ to all those who are in this world because those who belong to him will hear his voice and come to him. They'll be, they'll be called, like I said, out of the darkness and the light. I mean, that's Lord willing. Everyone in this room is a piece of that, the work of the church in this life. And when our last brother or sister is called by him, then, then, then we'll be done. We will rest. We'll be together with him. And then we'll return with him, you know? So that's good stuff. So that's why I always, uh, I should have drawn it out. If you look at all of history, I don't need to think, I, yeah, I don't have a way to draw it, but like, uh, you know, you got like, you got the first 1,400 years that was like the old earth, that we have no idea what that looked like, you know? And then you got the flood, the destruction of God judged the earth. And then you got, after the flood, Noah and his children for the next, I don't know, 500-ish years. 
of existence. Uh, and then God, then Abraham is born, and he says to Abraham, he'll make a nation. Then after that, all the, the focus of Scripture becomes on that man and his family. And that's, you know, from basically Genesis 12 to the end of Genesis is the story of Israel, God's nation, that he called this one nation to be a light to the world and to, um, you know, the, the one through the blessing of the earth will come. And then at the end of Israel's time, which would have been, you know, it's not that Israel, there weren't still Israelites, but the, the time of, of Israel is over and the church age began. Acts 2 is when the church began. And then the church exists to do the work of Christ here on earth until the end of the church age, which is the rapture. So there's a, there is a beginning and an end to the church very clearly in the Bible. Acts 2 to the rapture and then the church ceases to exist. Uh, you know, again, after Revelation 3, there's no mention of the church in Revelation 4 through 19, except for in heaven. They're all in heaven. They're not on the earth anymore. During that time, we call those the tribulation saints. There are people that get saved during that time. The church isn't there. And then, um, and then in the tribulation, the focus becomes, I mean, Israel repents during the tribulation. The millennial kingdom is all about Israel. So you got that time period, a thousand years of Christ reign on earth, and it's focused on Israel. And then the end of the millennial kingdom, you got the eternal kingdom. So it's kind of like you can look at it like just a big picture like that. Um, so I don't know if that helps. So it's basically like we're in the church age now. At the end of the church age is the rapture. Then you got a seven years of tribulation, the, the pressing of Israel, Jacob's distress to where Israel repents and the Antichrist does all of his stuff and Babylon is destroyed. At the end of the, the um, tribulation, Christ returns and reigns on earth for a thousand years. And at the end of the thousand-year kingdom, there's the final rebellion, the final war, and then you got the judgment of God, and then the new heavens and the new earth. And that's kind of the, the timetable, best we can understand it, for, of prophecy from here on out. Does that make sense? So there's people that have drawn that out. Again, it's just, it's just hard because when, when you get into the, some of this stuff because you've got to know what your hermeneutic is before you go read some book on Revelation because you've got people that are going to land all over the place. And you've got the imaginative, speculative kind of people that love just to, like someone said, how Lindsay made a, a career on it. You know, There are people that made their whole career on this one book and just come up with all kinds of fascinating things. And you know, I think you've just got to be careful of that too because you can just sit around and be fascinated about things that come. And I, I'd say that you, that's not a lot different than people that just go get their palms read and want to know things about the future. You know, like, you know, it's, it's, it's one thing to understand prophecy for the purpose of righteous living in the moment and for hopefulness in the darkness and for faithfulness even when things are pressing. It's a whole different thing just to speculate and sit around and imagine and be like, oh, that'll be cool. And you're, you're not being faithful here now. You know what I mean? This, this whole book is written for holiness. If you look at the, the stuff to the churches at the very beginning, I mean, the whole reason he wrote this to the churches, he's calling these churches to, to faithfulness. Get out of the world. Get out of idolatry. Get away from sexual immorality. Stop thinking you're something you're not. You know, you think you're called by me and you, you, you got no works to back it up. You're a lukewarm church or you're a dead church. And, and the whole point is this stuff is going to come. Christ's return is imminent. Be faithful. Don't forget your first love to Ephesus, right? So, I mean, those are the things that we need to pull out of Revelation. So then you read all this stuff, and you're like, that, this is amazing stuff. But the whole point is, is do not forsake Christ. Yeah, great that you got good doctrine, but if you've forgotten your first love, then he's, he's coming after us, you know? Make sure that you don't have all this understanding, all this knowledge, and no holy living, and you're just dead. You know, you, you think you're alive, you have a name that you're alive, but you're dead. You know, you don't want to be that. And, uh, and so I think that's the thing that... You know, make sure that as we imagine, or as we think through all the stuff, we look at all Scripture. It's it's wonderful, but it, it's to drive us to faithfulness, obedience, and holiness in the moment. That's the whole point of the Book of Revelation. Did you have something? You said everything I was just. <laughs> I should have had you come and say it. The thing is, is that repent and believe, and they did all these things happen, and they still did not. That's that's a good point. Right now, yeah. Yeah. Well, and that's the thing. I was going to say in my implications, one of them is sober-mindedness. Again, because you can, you can, in Revelation, I mean, again, it's not the book that does the damage. It's us, you know, and just wanting to be imaginative and speculative. But, but we need to be sober-minded. Um, and, and one of the things, I mean, if you go read Revelation, you see, I mean, as all these things are happening to the world and to the, 
the, the people are watching Revelation unfold before them, and their hearts are hardened more and more and more. They will not repent. And they even recognize that this is the judgment of the Lamb. They know that this judgment is coming from Christ, and they hate Him more. But it shows you what Hebrews 3 talks about, right? Do not be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. As long as today is called today, encourage one another to forsake sin, to follow Christ in obedience, because sin makes you crazy. Look at Romans 1. You go mad because of sin. You call evil good and good evil, and you do twisted things, and you enter into immorality and idolatry and worship things that have no breath. And, you know, and uh, I mean, you see it throughout the Old Testament. You see it in the church, and he warns you about it. Then you see it in the tribulation. It doesn't matter. There's no sign. There's no wonder. There's no prophecy fulfilled that's going to cause somebody to wake up. It's got to be the Spirit of God. And we got to point people back to the Word of God. And that's the whole point. Be sober-minded. Be fixed on His Word. The deceitfulness of sin is, is you know, I mean, we deceive ourselves and then we, we fall after Him. And so, I mean, revelation, that's part of it, is to, to be full of wisdom and understanding and discernment so that you... Don't get fooled by the Hal Lindsays and the, the things that people are trying to make revelation mean something that's not. You've got to be sober-minded. Yeah. Uh, I was trying to find this verse that I finally did find it in Ephesians 2, 4, talking about the church and the uniqueness of the church throughout eternity. He says, But God, being rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our transgressions, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved, and raised us up with him, and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. And seven is a really incredible verse, because he said, so that. Mm -hmm. So obviously he's speaking of the church, right? This is Paul speaking to the church. So that in the ages to come. Now, the only ages I can think of would be the millennial kingdom and the eternal state. Mm -hmm. After this, ages to come, he might show the surpassing riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. Yeah. So there's a, the church is such a unique entity that it's Jew, Gentile, it's one body, Romans, um, and, but there's something very special to the church that, not us, but the fact that he chose and all, that even throughout the ages to come, it will prove an Yes, agreed, and that, that is right, but it doesn't necessarily mean there's a distinction. I don't think you can take this verse and say there's a distinction uh, for ages to come. It's just that we're, we're receiving the kindness and the riches of his grace uh, in Christ Jesus for all ages to come because of what he's doing right now through the church. But I think you could say the exact same thing for people who died prior to you know, uh, the flood, you could say the same thing for those who died during the tribulation. All those things in Christ Jesus. That's right. And because of Christ and what he's done through the grace and mercy of God and, the, and, the, um, and, and always through faith. I mean, none of that changes. You could apply those same words to anyone. Uh, Israel, church, tribulation, saints, pre, you know. So it, I'm, not, I'm not saying that there is not a specialness of the church and there's not blessings for the church for the ages to come. But I think you could apply those exact same promises to all who have died in Christ which would be every, every saint, every child of God. Does that make sense? Yeah, I'm not sure. Yeah, yeah, that's okay. <laughs> um, anything else? Well, I want to leave you with one thing, and then we'll pray. Uh, if, you, you know, if you look back at Revelation 2 and 3, I just thought that was, and I didn't get to study this with you, but... You know, when we talk about things that you want to take away from Revelation, again, I know we, I, we've said it a lot, the hopefulness, the sober-mindedness, the faithfulness that we must have, thinking about the eminence of Christ, thinking about the deceitfulness of sin, the world system, and the, in Babylon, and all that, and then the promises of his return. I mean, I think those are the, the big picture takeaways, to, to persevere, to stand firm, to be faithful to the very end. These are the promises of the children of God. But... Again, this, this was written to the church, and there's seven things at the very beginning that are purposed for the church. And I think each of us individually need to assess our lives. We as a church need to look at the church as a whole 
And, and it's the things that we, we easily fall into in this world. And Ephesians, uh, the church in Ephesus, in verses two, or chapter 2, 1 through 7, if we lose our first love, that's not okay. We can have great doctrine. We can identify false prophets. We can keep ourselves unstained from the world. But if we lose our first love, we are not being faithful. This church in Smyrna was the suffering church. And again, the encouragement there is just being faithful in the persecution. Remembering that persecution and tribulation and hardship are good for us. And it's, in fact, the only two churches that get... Uh, that don't get rebuked are the two churches that are in intense suffering and, and uh, persecution in this world. And so just remembering in persecution to have courage, to be faithful, and to remember that all of this is for our good and it actually refines us and keeps us focused on him. you got the church in Pergamum, which is the worldly church. Again, it's easy for us to try to have both, to have one foot in the world and one foot uh, in the church, and you can't. I mean, it's, it's, you, you pick one or the other. Are you going to make your home here or with Christ? Uh, so compromising uh, and, and the false teaching, the immorality and idolatry that comes from worldliness. The church of Thyatira was the church that was tolerant of sin. They, 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 they were tolerant of sin. Uh, and, and again, immorality and idolatry. They had women teachers. They had perversion. It was a liberal church, a licentious church. And again, he, uh, he rebukes them and reminds them uh, to persevere to the end. And then finally, the uh, well, Sardis, the dead church. Um, just a, a church of ma- all the people in the church identified themselves as Christians. They all thought highly of themselves, but God looked at their heart and said, none of you know me, except for uh, there's a few, he says, that are unstained, but the rest of them uh, need him. And then finally, in lukewarm, the lukewarm church in Laodicea in the end of chapter 3, and this is just a church of hypocrites. And the, the, the Laodicean church, I think, is the most, in my opinion, the church of America that we need to examined the most and basically it was just a bunch of hypocrites playing games all professing to love Christ and to follow Christ but but Christ says you make me sick he, he's going to spit him out of his mouth because of the smug self-righteousness um, and uh, and the, 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 the lack of ability to assess themselves and so I think those are the things when you read Revelation you know again amazing stuff wonderful promises but pull it back to chapters 2 and 3, the, the seven little epistles he wrote to the churches, and examine your heart. Make sure that you're not, you know, the, 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 someone like the church in Ephesus. You're going around, you've got all this great doctrine, and you can identify false prophets, and you're out there, you know, you can, you can see the truth. But you've got no love. You've got no love for Christ, and you've got no love for others. Make sure that we're not like Sardis or Laodicea, where either we're dead or we're hypocrites, you know, and... We, we assess ourselves as something we're not. But if Christ were to assess us right now, you know, it would be a different, it'd be a different judgment. Um, and then make sure, like the other churches, all the other ones were engaged in some sort of tolerance of sin, which always leads to immorality and idolatry. And again, I mean, I, I look at my heart and I see, I mean, this is the stuff that you are always examining and you're always, I mean, I'm always seeing my, the, the allurements of the world and the, the things of the world that are enticing or they just are, you, you know, or on the other side, you can get, you can get overwhelmed by the, 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 uh, the fight. You know, you're battling sin, you're battling temptation. The world, I mean, just, it becomes pressing and you need what he tells Smyrna in Philadelphia, stay strong, persevere to the end. It's hard now, but there's, there's glory to come, you know, so I, I just think at the very end of Revelation, pull it back to two and three and go, all right, so here's what we need for the moment, you know, but then spur one another on uh, as we look at the, the end and what he's going to do. I mean, it's a, it's a wonderful and, and hopeful book, but yeah, cool. Well, let me pray for us and, and we can be done.